I wouldn't even call it a tasting. I think it was more about the experience and what we were hoping mm -hmm. to do. So we learned a lot about tasting notes, flavor preferences, and saying, all right, that beer was really well paired with this specific style of food from India. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to help us make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank. Welcome, everyone. I'm Renee Cordes with the Maine Biz Podcast team. Today, we're joined by Van and Sumit Sharma, a pair of brothers who grew up in Portland. At the start of the pandemic, they returned home to Maine from England and Australia to the family home and to the family business, an Indian restaurant in Brunswick. It was while working there, they started thinking about launching an Indian-style lager beer to go with the curry dishes they grew up with and then teamed up with the main craft beer guru to bring their business idea to life. Van and Sumit are here to share the story behind Rupee Beer, which they launched in 2021 and are now distributing in a growing number of markets. Let's find out more. Welcome to our show, guys. We're glad to have you on our podcast. So why don't we start? Tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up. Thanks for having us, Renee. I'm Van. I am one of the founders of Rupee alongside my brother, Sumit. I'm the middle child. And yeah, so for us, Rupee strength to strength is growing. And we also have a really deep connection with Maine, more specifically Portland. We, so our family, we immigrated to the United States, I would say in the early 90s. And from that, we went through, yeah, growing up down in, in Portland and have had a very, I would say, linear relationship in terms of kind of growing up all over, being in different places at different times. But Maine has always been that sort of strong force that's always kept us together. On top of that, when we immigrated here from Europe, our parents launched the state's first Indian restaurants. So we had a restaurant in Portland, Maine, downtown on Exchange Street. We launched Bombay Mahal in Brunswick. And we also had a taste of India in Bangor. And from that, those are all still operating. And our family still operates Bombay Mahal in Brunswick. So uh, Sumit, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what it was like to grow up in a, in a restaurant family, because I know you all had to work in the family business. So uh, my two other brothers and I, uh, at some point during our lives, we all worked at the restaurant one way or another, whether it was actually physically in the restaurant or helping our parents out with back-end type stuff. You know, my parents, older generation, they haven't used the internet as much or are as familiar with social media, stuff like that. So we helped them out a lot, a lot with that. But just growing up also working front of house, a back of house in the kitchen, learning how to cook the food and also serving it to the people, learning a lot about customer preferences, customer buying habits. Yeah. So at some point, one or another, all of us worked at the restaurant and anyone who's worked in the restaurant industry knows it's a very fast paced, a very long hours, a lot of sacrifice. So a lot of times we were working at the restaurant when friends or other events were going on. We couldn't attend those. But in the end, it worked out. Uh, it's hard work, but I enjoyed it. I wouldn't want it any other way. I think growing up in the business, in hospitality, being the you know sons of uh, restaurateurs teaches you a lot, but also just transferable skills for the real world. Everything from sales, marketing, customer service, down to hospitality. I think it's definitely ingrained. I know when my friends come over, 
I'm like, hey, you have to have this or let me make you a drink. <laughs> so I think it's definitely coming up from that sort of background. Hospitality definitely is ingrained in us. And now tell us, uh, what did you each uh, study in college? Assume that you want to take this one first. Yeah, definitely. So I went to Boston University. I graduated back in 2014. And originally when I was in high school, I had a dream to be a dentist out of all things. I think maybe it was just because, you know, I wanted to do something different than my parents did. But after my first year in college of doing some chemistry and or organic chemistry classes, I realized all these prerequisite classes weren't something I particularly enjoyed. So I made the switch over into business. Obviously, business was something that I had grown up in. So it was something I was familiar with. So I went with that. I also had some friends at the time that were in the business school at Boston University, and they had also recommended it. So I ended up graduating with a degree in business with a concentration in entrepreneurship. And then what did you do in your first couple of years after that? So I had started taking some internships uh, during college, then out after college. One was at the main center for entrepreneurial development, which is a business startup incubator in Portland. I also worked for a large property management investment company in Portland, uh, Princeton Properties. Uh, so I interned there. My parents and my family also owned some real estate investments, like multi-unit housing, residential housing in Portland. So I was doing a lot of the management for those as well at the time. Okay. And Van, tell us about your college area of studies. Yeah, so a little bit different from Summit. I would say growing up, I never excelled at math or in science. Our parents like enrolled us like most Indians kids across the states in private sort of tutoring aspects as well. So I went to Kumon, I went to Sylvan's Learning Center. I went to all those types of things because I hated <laughs> math, I hated science. But one thing I was actually excellent at was social studies, world geography, current affairs, politics. Those are the things that gave me energy and also naturally were just very fascinating to show up for. On top of that, having a very international background and yeah, getting to travel. So that was always fascinating. Like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do. The turning point was a few, I remember once coming home from school and my mom was watching the Oprah show and literally there was this person named Barack Obama on her program. And I remember watching him on TV and being like, whoa, this person is so charismatic. He really seems really interesting. And that's kind of the first sort of caveat to what really put him on the pedestal in 2007 when he was trying to get this momentum. He actually came to Portland that same year on a rally that Sumit, my mom and me also attended. And that's kind of what started my interest in wanting to do, pursue something in sort of the political science route. I had a teacher in high school. We went to Portland High who was saying, Van, maybe you should try political science. And that's kind of what set me up to study that. I went to Northeastern for my undergrad. Undergrad was in political science. And as I went through that, I got more interested in sort of the international relations aspect. And yeah, I was on track to be a diplomat. Ended up doing a lot of different things and worked in London for about 10 years uh, in various sales roles. And I also had my own startup that I exited a couple of years ago uh, in central London as well. So now what were each of you doing at the start when the pandemic broke out? Yeah. So I had mentioned for almost a decade, I was actually living where I was born in London. All of our family lives there. So growing up in Maine, it was just us, my mom, my dad, and my two brothers. We didn't have any family around us. And my parents chose to do that. I think they wanted to be different and they love to travel also. So we grew up always having a footprint in Britain just because our, all of our family lives there growing up for summer. So I was always really, I love London. I love the UK. So I went back after my master's. I was living there for a decade. And when I sold my business, I was in the co-working space arena in central London before that. When I exited that business, I had some time to reflect and figure out what I wanted to do. And it's also around the time when this thing called COVID-19 
was just surfacing. And from that, as for many, it changed uh, the course of my life and trajectory and brought me back to Portland, more specifically with my parents. And it's kind of where I linked back up with Sumit and where Rupi sort of had its emanation. Right. And, and Sumit, what were you doing at that time when it erupted? Yep. So I had actually gone over to Australia, to Melbourne. My plan was I had gone over on a working holiday visa, which is a, a visa program which allows people from different nationalities, including the USA, a lot of Brits, a lot of Germans, work over in Australia for one to two years. I was planning on working in the hospitality industry over there. But unfortunately, at the time I had gone, the if, if you all remember the bushfires, those really big bushfires started happening in Australia at that time. So that really hit the Australian hospitality industry hard. And then on top of that, just right after that was kind of settling down, the COVID-19 started to hit Australia also. So that even was even worse on top of that. Um, so my, my stay got cut a little bit short. I was only there for about half a year. Unfortunately, I would like to stay longer. I liked it, uh, the country a lot. It was amazing, right? Beautiful. But, you know, it was a struggle trying to find some last minute flights. I was fortunate enough to get a flight out of there to come back home to Portland just because of all the uncertainty. I didn't want to stay over there if I wasn't going to be able to find a job or anything like that. Sure. And this was in March of 2020? Yep. This was at that time. Right around, yeah, March, April is when I left Australia. And, and Van, you also came back around that time? I think a few, like a month or so before. So, so both of you came back to Portland from London and Australia. It made sense that you were again, helping on the family business. So did, did your parents have to ask you, did you sort of proactively agree to, to help them out in the restaurants? Sumit, do you want to start with that? Yeah, just by being home, obviously was not working. So there's only so long that someone can not be doing something at home during COVID before they start to go a little stir crazy. <laughs> So I just went on my own just to help out. It's like second nature. I was there a lot in my life growing up working there. So it was, it, yeah, it was just, it was natural. They didn't have to ask. And it was, how was it different being back? I mean, now that, you know, you had your careers and did, did it feel different than? It felt super different. It was a bit awkward, but I think at the end of the day, when you grow up in any type of family business, it's always going to be part of your story part of, you know, that whole sort of shift in where you've come. So yeah, it was actually, yeah, it was a bittersweet, interesting time, but also, I mean, seeing customers that our families had for, for three decades, for 35 years, being like, I remember seeing you when you were really young, running around in the <laughs> corner, and now you have had this massive career and you're back. It's a very cool feeling to hear those stories and have customers say, you know, we've been coming here for almost 35 years. So we're really, you know, loyal customers. My, you know, my grandkids come here now. It's the first place I've ever been exposed to having Indian food. So that's those kind of stories really were like, wow, my parents really created something here. And it really, it really, it really felt great. And your parents just had the one restaurant then, right? Bombay Nahal in, in Brunswick. So we launched three restaurants. We had Tandoor on Exchange Street in the Old Port, Taste of India in Bangor, and Bombay Nahal in Brunswick, which is a college town with Bowdoin College. So my dad chose those three specific cities in the 90s. Just customer feedback, people saying, hey, you should come here. This Indian restaurant would do really well this far north. So yeah, my parents launched all those three specific restaurants in the 90s, early 90s. And I mean, in 2020, when you came back, what restaurants did, were they operating? So right when we came back in 2020, Bombay was Bombay Mahal in Brunswick 
was the one that we chose to fully invest all of our time in. Still the state's longest running restaurant for Indian cuisine. And also one of the first sort of ethnic players in the region as well, being around for this long. So, so now tell us when you started having conversations or thoughts about starting your own beer brand, how did those come out, Van? Yeah, so it's part of a larger story. When we first immigrated to the United States, to Maine, back then, obviously, very homogenous state, still to some degree, comparing it to other states in America, still very not as diverse as other markets and other places. So back then, having Indian restaurants, by virtue of that, you also need to have Indian beer. They go hand in hand, specifically having an alcohol menu. So we just found there was a problem back in the early 90s where Indian beer companies, some of the larger giants that are really famous in the world, the Kingfishers, the Taj Mahals, just didn't distribute to that part of the world. For them, it was a, as a loss make in profit. Those distribution channels were just not profitable or seen as something they want to invest in. So it was very hard to find and source beer. Fast forwarding many years later, coming back during a time where we were in a global pandemic, same mm -hmm. problem popped up again on our radar where because of the supply chain and sort of, you know, big international beer containers not coming to the United States, we were not able to get some of those large iconic brands, like I mentioned, at our restaurant. So it kind of planted the seed to start doing some research and having conversations internally. And from that strength to strength, yeah, it's kind of how one thing led to another. And from that, that's how Rupi Beer came to be. So, Suman, maybe you can enlighten us, you know, on your first conversations at this time about, you know, starting a brand. So Van had mentioned, we had this idea in the back of our head for a, quite a while, just something that we had noticed that kept in the back of our head. And then as we both came back to Portland during the, uh, the COVID pandemic, we were at home also working at the restaurant, but we thought what ways can we sort of further grow the restaurant, grow the business, but also play this idea that we had back into play since at the time we weren't getting any Indian beer. So mm -hmm. we thought we would move into action with this. So we started to look around on the internet because obviously we aren't in the brewery world. That's not the world that we come from, but we came from the, the Indian restaurant background and sales for van. So we were looking around and on the internet, we actually ended up contacting people from around the world, brewmasters in Europe, in Asia, in North America. And just coincidentally, actually, we stumbled upon the fact that there was a gentleman actually that lived not too far from our parents' home, actually. His name was Alan Pugsley. He was actually one of the co-founders and the master brewers from Shipyard. So what, uh, how did you go about connecting with him? Or I, I think you did a lot of vetting, right, Van, before you contacted him? Yeah, so as Sumit mentioned, we received lots of proposals from various brewing consultants, breweries around the world, beer masters, Asia to Europe, North America. And we ended up speaking to Alan I also found immense interest because I knew that I had heard that he was British. So he's a British expat living in Portland and he was actually friends with our neighbors. So got him on the phone, had a really fruitful conversation. And I think he really understood what we were trying to do. He'd also been customers or he had been a customer of our restaurants as well. So English, and I've said this in multiple areas before, we always say what Indian food is to the UK, Mexican food is to America. It's been a long, having been in the business now for almost 45 years with our Indian food has really come up in that level. There's more knowledge. There's more awareness of the type of food that India is able to produce on a regional scale. So he really understood that UK curry culture of what we were hoping to achieve. And yeah, from that, it literally was, it just kind of happened. We said, I think we feel really comfortable using Alan. He has been a resource, a consultant 
We're launching several dozens of international brands. So in that sense, he really helped us in that sort of phase of not having and coming from a brewing background to really, you know, help us take an idea to market. And now tell us about the, the next steps then that you took. So the, the first step we took with Alan specifically was we started to import, bring over and collect any different types of comparable beers, Indian beers or any other types of beers that we liked the certain aspects of them, whether it was color, the taste, the carbonation. And we got those all together and we met Alan up at our parents' restaurant, the Bombay Mahal in Brunswick for a tasting event. So my dad cooked up a bunch of different Indian food, different varieties of Indian food, appetizers, breads, and we paired that. We went through each of the beers that we had selected and we sat down with Alan and tried all of them alongside the food. And as we went, we made notes specifically on what we liked about that specific beer, uh, what we didn't like. And after that was completed, Alan had a pretty good idea of what we were looking for. So from there, he went, I guess, to, you know, the brewing side where he was going to go into starting to do our test uh, pilot batches. But we also started to, as you mentioned, uh, other advisors, uh, we started Alan obviously being from this industry for so long, had so many contacts. Uh, he put us in with legal counsel, with designers, he recommended just a whole variety of people just from his, like. Over almost 40 years, I believe he's been doing this. So he has a vast array of contacts that we followed through with. And, and the tasting, it, it, did that happen in, in one sitting or multiple sittings? Yeah, so we, we were able to do it in one sitting. We weren't obviously completing each beer completely. We were just taking like a few sips of each just to get the overall idea to taste. And then just looking at the, the color and the appearance of the beer. I wouldn't even call it a tasting. I think it was more about the experience in what we were hoping mm -hmm. to do. So we learned a lot about tasting notes, flavor preferences and saying, all right, that beer was really well paired with this specific style of food from India. Let's do something there. I like this. I don't like that. So it was kind of a pick and mix, but also going back to the problem, we've been grateful. Like I said, we've gotten to travel to really cool places around the world. And one thing we always do as a family is Try the local beer, the national beer. It's the oh. it's a must. Mm -hmm. You have to you have to do that wherever you are in the world. You could be in Uganda, you could be in Trinidad and Tobago. So for us, it's part of the kind of part of traveling. And from that, always knowing that, you know, there's lots of great beers out there, but they don't necessarily probably pair well with food if you are having an Indian meal. So we knew being very laser focused that for us also it was about creating a product that wasn't going to leave you feeling uncomfortably full, feeling very gassy, and just kind of that's not a fun, if you're out for a curry, wherever you are in the world on a Friday night at your local Indian restaurant, and with your, when you're with your friends or your family and you're having a few beers, I don't want people, and we didn't want people to leave that dinner feeling gassy or uncomfortably full. Since Indian food already packs a massive punch and flavor, there are so many robust spices. So for us, it was really about coming up with a recipe that complemented those and wouldn't necessarily compete to leave you feeling uncomfortable after you've, after you've dined. So after the tasting and you have all these notes and you figure out what you want, what you don't want, how did you then proceed to come up with your, your own formula, your own recipe? So we worked with Alan and from that, yeah, he, the scientist went to work uh, in that sense, really <laughs> getting into the actual laboratory, AKA the brewery and going through that whole process of sourcing specific ingredients, bringing in different types of rice, hops, you know, corn, maize, barley, wheat, 
all the necessary ingredients to make a good fermented lager. And yeah, so it took a little bit of time, trial different types of uh, pilot brews as well. And from that, also getting direct consumer feedback along the process as well, in conjunction with also doing all the brand development work at the same time. And how many, do you recall how many batches you tried until you found a winner and thought this was it? It was very like small, slight changes that we made. So it was each time it's nothing like drastic that was occurring, but it was very small things like color or carbonation, or maybe a little bit of like less bitterness or stuff like that. Very small changes just because we wanted to get it really perfect. So you said there were three, three tries? Yep. On the third time is the recipe that we have today. And, and, you know, was there like a, a light bulb or, or eureka moment or jumping for joy when you say found the right one? I think it was a conversation amongst us, but also leveraging Alan for his expertise and really being like, Alan, is this going to be something that you think is a winner? So I think in that sense, it was about asking those strategic questions and also trying to take your preferences, your pattern of you know, taste notes out and looking at a larger scale to really create something that's going to have, you know, massive international appeal to various audiences. But also at the end of the day, it's not going to compete with the flavors of Indian food. So we were pretty happy. I think we trialed it also with having food that, you know, we would have at home that our mom would make. So in that sense, yeah, I think it, it felt right. And I think also it took some time. So with COVID things, obviously we're working slower. And if anyone knows to, you know, to ferment and to bring a lager to life, almost it takes about a month per batch. So definitely took a lot longer to get all that up and running specifically since for us, we weren't looking to create something mass produced. Craft beer is more niche, it's smaller batches. So for us, it was really important that the ingredients that we're using and the recipe fit a specific type of brief that we wanted. And yeah, we, we, we were able to do it. And what was it about the, the flavor, you know, that, that really stood out to you that made this different and, and sing to your taste buds? On the can, part of our branding and our logo and our sort of catchphrase is unforgettably smooth. So the tasting notes were that extremely smooth. And we hear feedback daily, even from non-beer drinkers. I have lots of friends who doesn't necessarily, beer wouldn't be their alcohol of choice. We'll say, hey, I'm going to try this. And whoa, it was actually extremely light. It was super smooth and it was very refreshing. So it's also created a conversation where it's not necessarily beer, even for having at an Indian restaurant. It's a really great standalone, easy to drink beer when it's super hot outside, you know, dur during the summer months, wherever you are in the world. So we've created something that is just an easy to drink beverage. It just happens to be strategically made for, for, you know, more robust flavors. We are now going to take a very short break and then we will hear what happened next to launch Ruby Beer. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it. A story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. If you're going into a Japanese restaurant, you may think of Sapporo. You go to a Thai restaurant, you're thinking of Singha. I want Rupee to be the go-to beer at Indian restaurants, not just in America, but around the world. 
We are back talking to Van and Sumit Sharma about their entrepreneurial journey launching Rupee Beer, the name Rupee. So, so how did that evolve? And, and did you, was that the first name you came up with? Did you go through several possibilities? Tell us about the process of coming up with the name. So we wanted to really pay homage to our heritage. We're super proud to be, you know, Indian for us growing up, you know, from speaking the language at home down to, you know, having a really deep connection. And on top of that, the icing on the cake coming from a, ba- a family business in the Indian food world already for 45 years. So it's really mm-hmm. part of our story. It's who we are. It's part of our identity. So we wanted the name to sound super iconic and be recognizable wherever you are in the world. So we came up with a short list of around 10 to 15 names, pulled around 500 friends, family members, literally in over like 50 different countries. And from that, gained that consumer insight. And from that, yeah, slowly it also came down to working with legal counsel on what was possible and what's not. Our first few options of names that we wanted, that they were already taken due to specific trademarking sort of avenues. And from that, yeah, Rupee, I always say everything happens for a reason. It just fell, it just worked out. And uh, sitting back and thinking about it now, I'm so grateful it did. The, the name is, uh, gets great feedback every single day from multiple folks. So we had the product that we finalized the recipe. The next part was also in the background. So we were working closely with our legal counsel to be compliant and get everything set up that we needed. Trademarks, registrations on the state level, on the federal level. So that's the process we undertook. Um, so that took a little while as well. Also at this point, the next thing is you need to figure out who's going to brew the beer. So sure. we were vetting different contract brewers here in Maine, but also around the region, the Northeast region to find a home for a brewing group. So that was also another process in itself. Right. Was it like almost a year or like eight months to get a trademark even going? I think it, it was a very long process. Yeah, to even get like what from the time you file it to the time it actually gets accept- accepted, it can take like over a year. It's a lot of waiting around. <laughs> and now, Sumit, you were starting to mention, you know, finding a, a place to, to brew the beer on your contract. So tell us about that process. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, that's a big part of the entire equation is where you're going to brew the beer. We worked closely with Alan. He actually visited some of the sites that we were also interested in, obviously, because he knows a lot more about the brewing and the equipment side than us. He was asking a lot of the important questions. So looking at the equipment, the processes, quality control, the specific way that our beer is getting produced, if the, the brewery could handle that. So it was a vast amount of knowledge that he brought, helped us out a lot to pick a perfect home. We were really trying hard to find a place in Maine that that would contract brew with us. But I think just being the time of COVID, a lot of people were busy. I think during COVID was one of the busiest times for a lot of craft breweries since a lot of people were staying home and drinking. And a lot of people in breweries in Maine aren't set up or have never done contract brewing or they maybe didn't, if they did, maybe they didn't think that this was a viable idea where they could get consistent production from us to make it worth it. So in the end, unfortunately, we weren't able to do it in Maine. So we went to a regional place in Boston, Dorchester Brewing Company, who actually specializes in in contract brewing. They brew for other breweries from the New England Northeast region also. And Alan checked off on everything there. He said it was a good fit for a rupee beer. It was a good home. And when you were sort of doing all the prep work, you you were still working in the the restaurants and your parents' restaurant, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I w- we were both there. It's, it gets difficult to juggle both things. I would be at the restaurant 
obviously at this time, as I had mentioned, we were just doing takeout. So that made it a little bit easier, actually, where you're not having to serve customers in the dining hall. If you're just doing takeout, if in between like the phone ringing or someone coming to pick up a takeout, I could be on my phone sending out emails or trying to do stuff off my laptop at the restaurant. So just trying to make <laughs> use of it as much time as I could. Yeah, I think when you're in the startup world, when you're a founder, when you're just getting started, you make it work. If it means something to you and if you're really passionate about it, you'll find the time in some aspect to make it work. So I've always done that with any entrepreneurial venture I've been in. So I think naturally it just works out. So And what was it like when you saw, you know, those first cans of rupee beer, you know, the the finished product? What what was it like when you saw that come to fruition? It, it felt good. After all, it had taken so long. It felt good to finally see an end product, a final product going into production. But then obviously the next thought is now you got to go out there and start selling this stuff. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great feeling uh, knowing that, you know, a couple years went into all of the pre-launch of making something happen. So from that, I think also it was a, it was a, you know, it was a slight wake up call that the real work begins now. So anyone in food and beverage, in F&B, F&B, fast moving consumer goods, it's a tough industry. So I think any brewer, any beverage company will be able to tell you if, you know, to, to be an F&B, it's a long, it's a long shot. So it's a, it, it takes a lot of time and many years to put in. So the work is now still just beginning, become, you know, beginning, even though we are grateful for all the success we've had. Yeah. F&B is a, it's a tough space to be in. And so tell us how you went about lining up your first customers, Van. So, yeah. So I come from a sales background. But I always say growing up in a family business of entrepreneurs, naturally, you have to have sales in you to be successful. So for me, it was very easy. I think from having worn hats in Europe where I had to do cold calling down to, you know, working more relationship management, corporate sort of gigs. I felt really comfortable in going out and soliciting new business and introducing the product. And from that, yeah, just also telling the story. Might I also add, this is still so new. There hasn't been much sure. diversity in craft brewing more specifically from a state like Maine. So the fact that we had a SKU or a product that was made for Indian food in a place like Maine was still quite foreign for a lot of folks. They needed the background, the knowledge. So it was really about fine-tuning the story we wanted to tell, but doing, doing it in a concise way. And yeah, creating awareness across Portland and different verticals as well. So yeah, naturally kind of created a buzz. Obviously having a restaurant where you can serve the beer really helps as well. The artwork on the can as well has a really great main connection. Rupee was actually the modern day Indian rupee, which is currency in India and in other countries around the world. Sultan Shur uh, was the person that specifically brought the modern day rupee to emanation. So when we were looking to have his illustration done at our restaurant, we have a really great mural, which used to be of my grandmother when she used to come from India. However, the gentleman that did that came back in and redid the mural for us for, from a different Maharaja. It's a massive mural. If you ever go to Bombay Mahal, you can see it. But he's actually the same illustrator for Stephen King, and he has been his personal illustrator for more than two decades. So he actually is the one that drew the Sultan on our can and really helped out with that. So getting that kind of feedback and having a restaurant in Maine was really helpful just from a, from a really great promotion standpoint. And so how did you, you know, describe the beer in those first calls, you know, those, those first cold calls to people who might not know anything about Indian beer in the first place? It's refined as we've grown. <laughs> so the same, <laughs> the same, the same story is necessarily there. It's become a little bit less complex where you don't have to over share as much. I think initially 
there were specs around, you know, it's a beer made specifically to pair with spicy food, with Indian cuisine, mm-hmm. with different types of world flavors, whether it's Thai, Middle Eastern, Mexican, you name it, just more complex flavors. And since then, it's definitely changed a little bit since folks have definitely given us feedback that it's just an easy to drink beer. So especially during the summer months, wherever you are, even this summer, you know, people have been giving us and send us direct you know, Instagram photos or direct Facebook photos, Twitter photos of them drinking the beer in the summer. So it's changed a little bit since it's become it's become a beer of, you know, of, of many different hats. Sure. And, and are you guys still working closely with Alan Pumsley? Yeah, we stay in touch with him. We text, we email. He gets involved and we need a little bit more strategic help in specific things. So, yeah, I think we'll soon be working on a few new interesting things in the pipeline. So, yeah, stay tuned. Do you think you would have been able to do this without his his help, uh, Sumit? I definitely don't think so. Obviously, we knew very little about the brewing industry and the brewery side of things. And Alan, you know, he's coming in, bringing over 40 plus years of experience in that. He's a recognized, you know, individual in his industry. And being from Portland and from Maine, I also think that also helped us out a lot. Just being a local guy, it was great, easy to get along with, work with him. So it made it that much easier and made it more enjoyable to work with someone that knew what we were trying to do. And where is your distribution currently, Van? So we launched in Maine last year, and now we're statewide in Massachusetts and New Jersey. And our pipeline now is very large. So coming up very soon, we'll be across New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, North Carolina, South Carolina, Washington, D.C., and Virginia, followed by the Midwest and West Coast expansion happening after that. And at the same time, I'm actually going to be in Europe in a few weeks, looking at a few different options there. So watch this space. Ruby Beer coming to a place near you. Exciting stuff. And and now what is each of you sort of doing professionally? Because I know, Van, you're back in New York. Maybe you can each tell us what you're doing now when you're not working on this venture. For sure. So the end goal, the eventual yeah. goal is to be full-time on Ruby. That's the end goal. And from that, I do have a day hat that I wear working more in the corporate sales kind of relationship management route at a very fast-growing tech company based currently in Manhattan. So I'm wearing lots of hats, struggling lots of things. And also, yeah, like any entrepreneur, to make it work, you you figure out time and you have to make some sacrifices. So keeping busy. And Sumit? Yeah, so during the day, I'm helping out my family with the, the investment properties, managing those, and also uh, helping out at the restaurant in the evening. So during the day, doing the investment property management and then working on Rupee, and then, well, working on Rupee basically all the time, anytime that I have, but also in the restaurant in the evening time. Excellent. Tell us about your, your long-term goals without giving away too many trade secrets. Sumits? Yeah, so the long-term goals, I think my personal goal for the company, I'd like to see Rupee become sort of the go-to beer for, at Indian restaurants across America. When you go into an Indian restaurant, I want people to associate that with Rupee beer. For example, if you're going into a Japanese restaurant, you may think of Sapporo. You go to a Thai restaurant, you're thinking of Singha. I want Rupee to be the go-to beer at Indian restaurants, not just in America, but around the world. So that would be my personal vision or goal for the company. Uh, Yeah, for us, it's really inspiring. Also, just being a macro kind of entrepreneur, really wanted to do something on a larger scale. For us, it's to grow faster. And Rupee at the current point is to, it's all about growth. So we want to be able to, you know, accommodate 
specific direct consumers that are inquiring and keep up with demand and expand at the same time. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm grateful for that. We want to be a larger international player, not just in craft beer, who knows down the road, Ruby might do some other interesting sort of products as well. So I think it's about creating a brand that really resonates with the type of products that someone and I would be wanting to have, you know, if we're at an Indian restaurant in Jamaica or wherever we are in the world, that's kind of the, the, the vibe, I guess we're hoping to, to create. Speaking of growth, just a minute about personal growth. So how has each of you, you know, grown personally from this experience of, of being an entrepreneur, which was, you know, unexpected, you could say, assuming you want to start with that, what have, what have you learned or how have you grown from this experience so far? Yeah, definitely. I would say for myself, personally, my background, Van's a little bit more, you know, he has the sales background. He's, you know, that's what he's been doing all his life. That's his background. Uh, me personally, I didn't come from as much of a sales background. So that's something I've definitely had to uh, upskill in and something I'd have to, I've had to make myself more comfortable with, make myself more open to doing stuff like that. And then also just trying to be more, just outgoing, more face of the company. Cause I generally tend to do more of the back, like background type stuff, back end finance operations. So that's something I've definitely been pushing myself to try to do more of. Yeah, growth has been definitely part of the journey and still is every single day. Definitely patience is one avenue that I've really been working on to launch a beer brand and to even doing it during an international pandemic. And also, you know, there's lots of talks and chatter of a recession approaching. So if not, if we're already in it. So there's lots of nuances of being an entrepreneur in this climate, specifically in the craft beer arena. So I think it's about balancing, being patient, things aren't going to move as fast as you're traditionally normally used to seeing. So managing those expectations, but also there hasn't really been a roadmap for people that look like us to enter craft beer. So we've also had to do our own research and development and due diligence. And there's been a lot of behind the scenes upskilling that's had to happen that no one's ever going to be able to see. So even just entering that world and a world traditionally, which isn't set up for you know, people like us to join and enter, we've definitely had to learn and those and navigate those ways. So yeah, every day you grow, you figure things out and the next day is better. Right. And, and finally, any, any words of advice to other aspiring entrepreneurs in the craft beer space, any do's or don'ts or something you wish someone had told you? I've been trying to tell myself, and I think from the get-go at the end of the day, just have fun with it. And literally if you're in beer, don't take yourself too seriously. I do wear a corporate hat during the day and I have before. So I'm really trying to also take that off more. And literally, you know, I think people that join beer that are in food and beverage or hospitality, that world. Yeah. It's not about taking yourself too seriously since I want to do this, you know, I'm in it for the long run. So really enjoy it, be present and don't forget why you're actually doing it. See me. Yeah. Anyone looking to get into, uh, into this industry, I would definitely uh, say have patience and definitely know what you're getting yourself into as in the brewing industry and the alcohol industry. There is a lot of regulation. So if you want something, if you're a type of person who wants something to move fast, that you want it to be easy, this may not be the best industry for you uh, since there is a lot of regulation for every regulation and a lot of antiquated laws and you have to go state by state. Each state has its own specific rules. So definitely have patience and know what you're getting into beforehand. Great. And no regrets about not going into dentistry. No, definitely not. This has been a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz.
The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank. The Main Biz Podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Allison Mason, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing design by Matt Selva. Subscribe to the Main Biz Podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2022.